0: As we go to the scripture lesson this morning, I want you to hear this story. And again, sometimes familiarization um, doesn't allow us to really think deeply about what these things mean. This is an incredible transition that's going on. Jesus is trying to make three points in the midst of this entrance. The timing, the location, and the action. And we'll see where this goes. Listen as David reads.
1: This is from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. When they had come near Jerusalem and had re- reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him And that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they became angry and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. He left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. Holy wisdom, holy word.
0: Friends, I know that normally, or often anyway, We start off this service with a joyful and triumphant kind of parade. Uh, Even last year, we began in Friendship Hall and paraded into the sanctuary. This year, I I just want to approach it a little more quietly. And you will sense this throughout this week, that throughout this week, each service will have moments of of quiet. The focus will be quiet. Uh, Part of that is to prepare us truly for what's coming. The other piece of this is, you know, we've spent seven months looking at the Gospel of Matthew. Seven months. Somehow, because of that holy number of seven, it's important that right now we're in the midst of the most important week of the Christian year. And I want you to hear that again. We are in the midst of the most important week of the Christian year. And I want to challenge you, as your pastor this morning, to try as, as you can to attend each of these services. They create a progression that leads us toward what's coming next Sunday. But it begins today. Just a couple of reminders as we try and unwrap some of these scriptures. I want to remind you that this Gospel of Matthew is the everybody's in gospel. It's the gospel that that identifies so many different populations. But what you may not be aware of, that Matthew does an incredibly ingenious job of creating a transition that moves from focus almost entirely on the beloved children of Israel. And in the midst of this gospel, we see a shift and a change. Where suddenly at the end of the gospel, we see the Great Commission go into all the world and this is one of those key pieces of that transition remember that throughout this gospel jesus almost continually focuses on the crowd but here what we see is a shift in a change from a crowd to his enemies and creating opportunities for teachable moments over and over and over again and that is what this morning is all about but in the midst of those teachable moments is constant food. Like the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus is feeding again this morning in a really hard, hard way. Maybe most importantly as we hear and we unwrap this story is remember what lay at the root of all of it. And for that we have to go all the way back to Matthew 5 and Jesus talking significantly and pointedly about what brings blessing. Blessed are those, blessed are those who understand their own spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who feel deeply for others. Blessed are those, or blessed are those who are the bringers of peace. And so in the midst of all of that, And all of what's coming, we have to have those things in mind as well. Finally, what I want to do is I want to take pieces of all four Gospels for this morning and try and bring them together so that we can really look at the whole narrative, which will lead us toward these questions I'm going to ask you at the end of worship. And so to begin, I want to go just above Jerusalem to the small town of Bethany. Matthew ends with a trip to Bethany. Other Gospel writers begin there, and I want to begin there. And a reminder of Jesus going into the home of his best friends. And these were absolutely his best friends. And there were three where he went to visit and recline and have supper with them. And you can see him there and across the table as they're reclining for dinner is Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. And all three of them are there. And there, right there, in those three, you have had the encapsulation of almost, almost the whole gospel. You have Lazarus, who is resurrected from the dead. Remember, they opened the tomb, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, and it was this incredible story of resurrection, a precursor to what's coming. But also there, at least, probably reclining there, is Mary. And remember the difference between Mary and Martha. And I know how many of you self-identify with Martha rather than Mary. We have a church full of Marthas. And I praise God for you who are Marthas, but I just want to encourage you to become a little bit more like Mary as well. It's because Mary saw her role as sitting at the feet of Jesus and just soaking in His teaching. And Martha was there preparing the food and... And and, and making sure that everybody had what they needed. And it takes all of those to truly have a church, if you will. But then came the interruption. And it was an interruption. Nobody saw this coming because suddenly, into the room where they were, comes a woman. And this woman had been healed, she was a prostitute. Jesus had healed her emotionally and she comes in with this incredible jar of the most expensive perfume, ointment. And without a word, she kneels at the feet of Jesus as He's reclining on a couch. And she pours the ointment over His feet and rubs it in in a very intimate way. And as she is... Rubbing that ointment into His feet, she is weeping. And as she weeps, the tears fall on to the feet of Jesus. And she wipes then those tears with her hair, but the fragrance fills the room. But then there's the other element. And the other element is Judas. For Judas... Complaints. And says, who does she think she is to spend that kind of money on something that could have fed so many? And again, Judas misses the whole point. Because what that woman brought into that room was probably the most important aspect of the ministry of Jesus, and that was healing. For he was the ultimate bringer Peace from there. What they do then is they leave that place and they go to just above the Mount of Olives. And there is Jesus coming up there, and he stops at the top of the hill and looks down through the Mount of Olives to the city of Jerusalem. And as he looks at the city, he is overcome with emotion. It's not anger. Not yet. It's compassion. But even beyond compassion, it is deep, deep disappointment. And he begins to weep. And almost out loud, he's thinking out loud saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I have longed to gather you in as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not come. You would not respond. And he weeps. He weeps for the loss of it. And maybe even he weeps for the failure of it. But he weeps. And then begins that journey, winding through the Mount of Olives down to the road at the base of the valley, the Kidron Valley. And there he has already given instructions to his disciples. And out from that place comes two disciples leading a donkey, a colt. And the disciples lay their cloaks over. It is just not comfortable riding a donkey. And they lay their cloaks over, not just to make him comfortable, but to also honor him. And suddenly the crowd who is there coming for the Passover feast realize who this is. And they begin to cut palm branches. And we somehow see this as some celebration. It's not a celebration. It's a pleading. It's a pleading. Because the word Hosanna isn't just a celebration. The word means save us. Save us. And as they're yelling these These words of Hosanna to the highest, Hosanna to the son of David. They are laying those palm branches along the road and some are taking off their coats and throwing them so that he will ride over them. This hope filled savior. But even they aren't getting it because what they realize, what they want is that savior. How how many meanings are there for this word? For them, the savior was to save them from their own lot to save them from Rome, to save them from the oppression of the temple, to save them from where they were. And we're going to see this crowd shift dramatically by Friday. Dramatically. It's what happens when our heroes disappoint us. But he rides in, and he rides in on a donkey. Had he walked in, it would have been completely different. Had he ridden a horse in, that was a symbol of war. A donkey was the ultimate symbol of peace. The ultimate symbol of peace. But there was an irony here that we miss often. To ride anything into a city, if you are an ancient Israelite or a Roman, meant that you have conquered in war another people and can you see them can you see the temple authorities standing on the parapet six floors up looking down on this procession and hearing the words of this savior coming in to their temple and they're angry or can you see the roman authorities now coming to the gate because of the crowd and watching this conquering hero being honored riding in And they're angry. And we have to have that in our heads to truly understand what's coming later this week. Pretty much everybody is angry. Pretty much everybody. But then there comes this third piece. I mentioned the first one, which is that this is at the time of Passover, the time where they celebrate going from death to life, from slavery to freedom, intentionally chosen, The second piece is the donkey riding in on the most symbolic animal of peace, donkey, and allowing the crowd to say what they said to him. But then there's the third piece, the most difficult piece. And I think for many of us, the most confusing piece, because immediately, according to Matthew, he gets off the donkey, comes in. And by the way, coming down the Mount of Olives, the closest place in the temple is the courtyard And there's great debate about which courtyard he went into because you have the courtyard of the Gentiles. It was the only place in the whole area of the temple where the Gentiles were allowed to be. Did I mention that Matthew makes a transition here that focuses from the beloved children of Israel and expands it out where everyone becomes a beloved child of God? And what have these temple authorities done? They have completely changed the sacred nature of that area. Or... The other debate is that he enters in at the the portico of Solomon. That entrance where Solomon would always make his entrance. And according to the ancient prophets, this was the place where the Messiah would enter into the temple. And resurrection would happen for all Jewish people. doesn't matter where, wherever it was, they had taken what was sacred and made it evil. They had taken what was sacred, and they made it evil. And money changers, friends, were equal to tax collectors. They were taking what was sacred and gaining wealth from it. They were taking what had intentionally been a sacred space and became profiteers in that space. And where I think many of us get confused... Is, is this really a place where Jesus gets angry? What is this? It feels like such a juxtaposition from the Jesus that we want to know. But what I want to say to you this morning is it's not at all different from anything we have seen in this gospel. Because what this becomes by the hand of Jesus is institutional healing. It's a moment of institutional Healing. We have no trouble with the fact that he goes out and heals people of demons. We have no trouble with him going out and healing a woman who is bleeding for 30 years. We have no trouble with him healing a paralytic or even the servant of a centurion. This is no different than any of that. What he's doing is healing the institution. What has happened in that church is that they've begun to worship their rituals. And the rituals have become wrong. And he needs to cleanse it. And he does. It's amazing, this story. It's amazing, this day. And so I want to ask you these questions as we prepare for what's coming this week. The first question I want to ask you is which of those four in the original story of those friends do you relate to most readily? Do you relate most readily to Lazarus and feel as though there's some time in your life where you have been resurrected because of this one? Do you feel most like Mary and what you want to do is just get more and more and more from this man and just sit at his feet and listen? Or are you most like Martha getting so caught up in the to-do list that you miss those opportunities to learn? Or are you most like that woman who was healed and just want to give back over and over as much as you can to this one who saved you? Which of those four? are you most like? Second question. Have we forgotten what is at the root of this gospel? And as we move into this week, it's so important that we have those beatitudes in the back of our mind. Every one of the services, including today, today, is going to be based there. Those seven elements are essential to our lives of faith. Do you recognize your own spiritual poverty? Do you feel deeply for others and allow yourself the kind of risk that is required to feel that deeply for others? Do you recognize your need for confession? Do you recognize that you are not God I am not God. We are not God. Do you recognize that what truly brings blessing or eye-opening is when we choose peace and find those places where because of our relationship with Christ, we will bring peace. Whether it's with a friend or a family or in this church or in this community, or in the world. Are you bringing peace? Do you know who and what you are? There is no question, but as Jesus rode into this place, He knew who He was, what He was, and what He needed to do. How's that going for you? Do you know who you are or whose you are? Do you know what you are? And do you know where you're being called to serve? I again say, and I can't stress it enough, that the Spiritual Gifts Retreat is about that. It's just not some other retreat to come to just for the sake of coming to a retreat. The point of this retreat is to help us define and find who we are and the giftedness that God has placed in every single one of us. Because out of that will come an amazing revelation for work within God's kingdom. I will tell you what it's not. It's not so that we have a place to recruit you to serve. That's not what this is. It is designed to be that place of self discovery, a gift of God. Two other things. Friends, are we willing? Are we willing to get appropriately angry and take the appropriate actions in those places? where damage is being caused to others. Are we willing to take appropriate actions? And here's the deal. There's a danger in that statement, and the danger may not be what you think. Because immediately where we go with a statement like that is women who are abused or children who are abused, and that is an important place, an appropriate place to get angry. To create the change where that can't happen anymore. But I want to take it deeper than that. Are we willing to get angry or frustrated with those things that may be happening in this church that cause harm to others? Are we willing to take those on as well? Understanding that at our very roots are the Beatitudes. Are we willing to take those on as well as those things beyond these doors? Finally, we need to be reminded of worshiping the right things. And that's what this week is about. God gives us this incredible gift in these stories of Jesus. And continual reminders, continual reminders of what is to be at the heart of our worship. So what is at the heart of your worship? And is some kind of sacrificial living in the midst of it? Because we will never understand what is at the heart of Christ-centered worship without understanding that it comes at a cost. And that's when you insert those last two pieces of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. Blessed are you when people say all manner of evil against you. It's Holy Week, and we make this transition. My prayer for us this week is that every element of this Holy Week becomes spiritual food so that we might be able to go deeper and grow beyond even where we are right now. I really am asking you to ponder those questions this morning. I'm asking you to ponder those questions tomorrow and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and come together on Thursday and explore them more fully and on Friday to remember the cost. On Saturday to take a moment to reflect in that time when Jesus was in the tomb if we do that if we do that sunday will take on completely new meaning it's holy week and what you've done as you've taken your palm fronds and turned them into crosses is taken action that is representative of what we're doing this week from palm sunday we move toward Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And next Sunday, something is going to blossom out of all of this. As we prepare, will you pray with me? God of creation, we we often struggle with sermons like this. I know I do. But I ask that you help us understand that your hopes for us go well beneath the surface. Your Your desires for our actions are defined by what's coming this week, including what we heard today. And what we recognize in the midst of all of this is even out of these places can come peace. And often because of the actions that we take, we find peace and we share it with others. And it comes, becomes a mounting wave of love and grace. God, help these days take on new meaning. As together, we continue this journey through this week. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.